There are over 500,000 kids in foster care across the United States, and making sure they're well taken care of takes a village. I'm Erin Lindstrom, and this is Foster Care Aware, a production brought to you by Tidewater Friends of Foster Care with support from the Barry Robinson Center. If you've had it on your heart to become a foster parent, volunteer, donor, advocate, or just want to learn more, you're in the right place. For more information on how to move forward, head to fostercareaware.org slash next steps. And now I'm thrilled to share today's segment with you. Hey, I am Erin Lindstrom and I am joined by Audra Bullock, the president and director of Tidewater Friends of Foster Care and Karen Opie, the resource supervisor at Norfolk Department of Human Services. Hi, Karen. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to chat. Um, to start us off, can you tell a little, a little bit about um, the need for foster parents in Norfolk and about how many kids are in care? Certainly. Um, Norfolk has a huge need for foster parents. We currently have somewhere around 210 children in care um, as we speak, and they unfortunately don't stop coming. Um, Norfolk, we have 75 licensed homes that are through the city of Norfolk, through us, my department. Um, and otherwise they end up going to private agencies, which is fine, but I, my goal has always been to have as many homes in Norfolk as I can have, um, so that we have that relationship with the parents to have our children in their homes. That's an incredible disparity between the number of kids in care and the number of homes you have. Um, so tell us about what you're looking for out of a foster home. What makes a successful foster parent? Okay. Um, I think the first thing that makes a successful foster parent is a person whose heart is to give and who's willing to be flexible, um, who's willing to love children enough to hold on to them and give them everything they can while they have them and then still let them go if reunification becomes viable for kids. Um, foster parents need to be able to work with us as part, be part of the team and love on these kids and give them everything that they need while they're in their home. Yeah, that can be challenging. And I think that's probably the barrier, right, that most people have when they thought about foster care is letting the children go. Um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, how parents can kind of overcome that. What are, what are strategies that you teach on, okay. on doing that? Sure. So parents do go through quite a bit of training, both before they become foster parents and then throughout the process of being a foster parent. Um, and we are there to support you and help in any way that we can. I think that the most successful parents with reunification have the, again, right attitude from the beginning, um, that their goal is to provide these kids with everything they can while they have them. Um, and that they bond in some, some way or another with the biological family. We have so many reunification cases where the biological family, whether it was parents or fictive kin or cousins or whoever, and the foster parents are able to form a bond. They're able to communicate with each other. Foster parents, many of them, continue to support, babysit, and deal with these kids after they've gone home so that the children have a con continuity um, with that so that they both sets of caregivers can understand where the children are. Children don't have to feel like they're being abruptly moved from one thing to the next. Um, so our most successful reunifications are absolutely the ones where the foster parent and the biological family are willing to work together. It's not a contest um, and that children can never have too many people who love them and care for them. And if everyone has that mentality, it's the most successful. 
Right, right. And we know from talking with our friends at the Casey family programs that the data supports that that is in the best interest of the child, the children, they do better when that scenario is the case. And so it's almost a um, kind of a new uh, child welfare model that we're going into to support these birth family, foster family relationships. Correct. It is new. Yeah. So tell us, you've worked both in public and private agencies. Tell us what the difference is between, um, you mentioned uh, a private agency versus uh, licensing, for example, with the city of Norfolk. Sure. Um, At the end of the day, when you have children in your home, it's probably not that different. Um, One of the biggest differences if you work for a city is that we do have um, a lot of people who prefer to work with younger children. They often do not end up going to the private agencies because we have homes within the city that are able to maintain them. So if you are interested in working with younger children, that's a big advantage to go ahead and come to the city agency. Um, I think you have less people involved in your home when you work directly for the city because we have custody of the children. Um, When they go to a private agency, you have the custodian still, who's the legal guardian, and then additionally a case manager and other people involved through the privates. Now, um, for some kids, that's a plus, honestly, because they need those services and it's a positive thing. So I think that it's really between um, what the foster family feels the most comfortable with, I want as many people as possible versus the least amount of people that I can do to help with these kids and the age range and kind of behaviors that they're willing to work with. Right, so Moon, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that all local private agencies are therapeutic um, provide therapeutic foster care. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. All right. And the difference between that and regular foster care is really um, predicated on the uh, the training that you have, the behavioral issues potentially that you're able to or expected to deal with. Is that um, Yes. There, there are many times, I'm going to be honest with you, that the, end up, that the difference is very, the line is very thin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really a matter of what kind of home can we find that will take these children on. Um, with the more difficult children, yes, the, because of the case management piece that the private agencies can provide, that's an additional thing for that. As far as actual foster parent training, I think it's very similar. Between mm-hmm. Speaking of the training, can you tell us a little bit about the training process, the licensing process, and what parents can expect from, hey, I'm interested, to, okay, now I have a child in my home? Absolutely. Um, in the city of Norfolk, we do most of our training on Saturdays. Um, we do have some evening classes. And I'll be real honest with everything that's going on right now. We're going to be probably coming up with a few other things. Um, I have a pretty long list that's growing of people who have been interested that I haven't been able to work with yet, you know, because of the pandemic that we're dealing with. But as a rule, when someone contacts, they would contact me, let me know they're interested. I would send them out a little bit of informational, um, you know, paperwork to get started on. We um, hold our classes. Like I said, most of the time it's four Saturdays that parents would come from like nine to two. Um, So there's a lot of in-person training that I think is very useful, very helpful, and very good information. Additionally, there's some online classes that parents are enrolled in and can take um, in order to do that. So once all of those criteria are met, those trainings, someone um, from my team comes out to their home and does what's called a home study. Um, People get kind of nervous about that. They think they're supposed to bleach everything in their house and make it perfect. And that the point of a home study is for us to get to know you, to understand where your heart is and the kind of child that we think would match best with your home to make sure the bed space is appropriate to make sure, I mean, 
it's very rare that we actually just turn people down. There's, there's issues that might come up for that, but more likely it's about, you know, you said that you have five beds and that's wonderful, but you've never had children in your home. Maybe we'll start off with licensing you for two kids, you know, for a sibling group that might need you. And let's get, let's get a little seasoned first before we threw five kids into your home. Um, just to kind of make sure we try to get to know parents, their own personal things. Everybody has things that they come with. Um, that can really add to their ability to work with certain kinds of kids and subtract from their ability to work with other kinds of kids. So we try hard to get to know people the best we can so that we make the best match. Um, the ultimate goal being that when children are placed in your home, that's the only home they're placed in mm -hmm. until they either go home or are able to be adopted. We try very hard for our children not to have to move around. Got it. But yeah, it's it's so incredible when you look at the state stats on the percentage of children that have three or more homes while in foster care. I believe it's over fifty percent. Seems unacceptable as far as you know a stability point, but I think that goes to the point of training and supporting foster parents and that mantra of first placement, last placement, right placement between entering care and, and exiting care. Um, their yeah, permanency. That takes us back to what Aaron's question earlier about why why I would prefer to have our as many homes as I could under me, under my team. Um, because when I know the home, I have a better feeling for the kind of children, both behaviorally, age-wise, numbers and everything that they can, that they can handle and work with. Um, not that the private agencies don't try to do the same thing, but it's, it becomes third hand, you know, from us getting a child in to talking to them, to them talking to that home. So the more homes that I can know personally, that my team can know personally and assess, the better I can match the children that work for that are coming into our care. Got it. Karen, can you talk a little bit about um, the, so once your home is opened, you're kind of like in the process of letting Norfolk um, Department of Human Services in and really getting to know each other so you can be matching on that quality um, match. What happens as far as like training and support once the child is in the home? Okay, I think we do, personally, I think we do a great job in Norfolk. Um, every home that's opened has a resource worker that's attached to them, that's part of my team. So, and we come out to your home um, at least every quarter and more often if we need to, both to provide support and training, to check in and see what you're doing. And that's additional and separate from the worker that's gonna be attached to the child that's placed in your home, who's also there to support you and give you training. Um, we offer ongoing training throughout the year. A lot of it's digital at this point. We do a lot of um, sending out, I send out a monthly article, um, send out things to parents, give them opportunities um, throughout the area in Hampton Roads. We always let them know lots of trainings that are being offered. Um, Tidewater Friends actually put on a great training at the beginning of this year that we you know, offered to our parents to do. So we offer as many opportunities as we possibly can, both online and in person where parents can grow learn new things, find out more, um, and attach to each other as, as well so that they can work with each other. Got it. And then as far as adoption, this like comes up a lot in questions because people, you know, some people completely understand that um, reunification is of course the number one goal. Um, right. And when that's not possible, can you talk a little bit about the potential for adoption within foster care in Norfolk? Sure. Um, so in the state of Virginia, not just in Norfolk, the first goal of a child in care is always return home. Um, the state standard says that has to be um, the goal for at least a year, you know, barring some real specific issues. Um, and usually it's way longer than a year. 
where there's work being done with the biological family, whether it is the mother, father, or again, aunt, grandma, cousin, um, or anybody else that might possibly be related to this child and involved and want to work with them. If all of those are exhausted and there are no available relatives for these child, for these children that come in, um, if termination of parental rights does occur within the court, then we hope that the home that the child is already in is available to adopt them. So what I tell anyone who calls, because pretty often people will call me and the, you know they, they're not able to have children of their own or they were able to have children of their own, but they also wanted to adopt. I mean, either way is okay. And they say, I just want to adopt some children. And what anyone coming through any of our agencies particularly public agencies needs to know is that you have to be a foster parent first um and you have to again have the mentality of i will love on these children and care for these children do everything i can for them and support reunification and then be available for adoption if they go home we did have 30 finalized adoptions in 2019 um, that we celebrated so it absolutely happens and it's a wonderful thing when it does but it can't come before the availability of children going home. All the research everywhere shows that children do better when raised in their families, um, if possible, if their families are, el are eligible, able, you know, capable of doing that. So anyone who wants to adopt just needs to be very aware of that and be clear that they have to be able to work both sides. And it's not easy to do. You know, right. you love it, they live in your home, particularly, you know, any child, but say it's a, a baby who comes into your home and you're raising them Nobody says it's going to be, oh, no problem at all. I'll just hand them right back. That's, it's going to be hard. Um, it's probably one of the hardest things foster parents have to do. But we need, we do our best to support and train you so that you are prepared. Yeah. Can you speak about that a little bit? So obviously you've been doing this, I know, for, was it over 20 years? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, like, I know so many people are afraid of taking the next step because they are afraid of the pain and the grief that they're going to have to process, right, by attaching and then detaching. Um, potentially can and I imagine you've seen thousands of kids come through the system at this point right and I imagine that comes with your own heartache as someone who's you know in this world every day can you just speak a little bit about how um, where does the strength come to kind of like keep going and showing up and what do you say to parents who are kind of on that edge and afraid of the pain what I would say to any parent is that anything you can give to the child while they're in your home is worth it um, so I'll go back to the baby thing that I was saying, you know, if, if infants are loved and cared for and secure, they're still forming that attachment. They're still, you're still giving them so much for their lives and nobody, it's not easy. Um, biological parenting isn't easy either. There's, there's lots of loss and heartache that comes along with that as well. Um, if you're coming into foster care for the, I guess what I would call the right reasons, which is to care for children and to give them what they need. You have to find the strength within yourself within us to help you to support them and again if you have come at this in the right way and you form the relationship with the family then you're not necessarily just saying goodbye to that child you're not you're not they're not in your home for a year and then they're just gone you're supporting them and i do i have many foster parents who are routinely still seeing these children babysitting for them caring for them um i don't have a magic wand to make it easy like you know that oh it's no problem and again it I don't want to sound cliche. I don't want to use somebody else's words, but it, you know, love isn't easy um, in any form that it does. And love sometimes comes along with some hurt, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Um, it doesn't mean that children aren't worthy of the love that you can give them while they're in your home. And it doesn't mean that you're not able to regroup and move on from there. And that hopefully the child who is meant to be yours will end up being yours at some point in the future. That's beautiful. 
It's beautiful. It's a model of families helping families and coming together for the better of these children. I think that's incredible. Thank you, Karen. Yeah, absolutely. So Karen, if people are listening to this and want to take next steps, learn more about um, fostering through Norfolk, where should they go? What's that next step they should take? Contact me. Um, they can call me. Um, did I say my phone number? Um, they, uh, 664-7751. They can email me at karen.op at norfolk.gov. Um, right now, like I said, we're kind of in a holding pattern, but I am trying to get people started. I've sent people some extra paperwork. I've enrolled some people in some of the online stuff um, while we're kind of waiting out life at this moment in time. Um, but they can contact. I'm always available by phone or by email to try to walk people through the steps to try to make people understand where we are and to support what's best for them. And, and I want to add just one last thing about foster care in Norfolk, because I am a Norfolk foster parent. Um, and and we, if we look at a statewide perspective, we know that Richmond City um, has the, the highest number of kids in care. Um, but between Norfolk and Virginia Beach, it bounces number two in the state. Yep. Um, 200 plus kids is a lot of kids to have. In, um, in care and particularly for Norfolk on a per capita basis, it's extremely high. So I know the need there is very great for foster parents. Um, so for, for those people who are considering foster parenting um, that live around Norfolk, I, I would encourage you to, to um, help out the city of Norfolk so that kids can stay in their home region as well. Awesome. I was gonna say that you know anywhere in Hampton Roads that parents are, we do license parents and all the Hampton Roads areas. We don't want to go too far beyond that because of visitation and being able to reunify with their families eventually. Um, and obviously, you know, the closer in Norfolk sometimes the better, but we do, that is a question I get pretty often. And I do have homes, you know, in Suffolk and Virginia Beach and Portsmouth um, and even a few on the peninsula as well. So if you're interested, please feel free to call me. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being here, Karen. And thank you thank for the work that you're doing in our community. Yes, thank you, Karen. Thanks. And a big thank you for listening. Foster Care Aware is all about spreading the word about how we can help the kids who are in care in whatever capacity works for you. Tidewater Friends of Foster Care is here to help support you through the journey. Whether you want to be a foster parent, volunteer, donor, or advocate, head on over to fostercareaware.org slash next steps to learn more. Thank you.